You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Stepp, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Weekly Group Podcast, covering the NBA Finals, a postmortem on the Houston Rockets after dropping a seven-game series to the Golden State Warriors on Monday night. And uh, joining me are uh, two of Houston's finest. That's Hunter Atkins, Ben DeBose. Guys, how is it going? As good as it could be. Uh, rough week in Rockets land. But with Daryl Morey, June and July is often one of the uh, more fascinating months of the year, even though there's no basketball. So it's one of those things, even though it hasn't even been 48 hours since the season ended, all of a sudden things are already picking up all over again, it feels like. You were such an optimist that you're already thinking about, like, you know, the summer and more news to cover and how this team can get better. Let's at least, you know, milk the loss for just a little bit more juice. Sure. Um, I still, after the whole series, and and you and I, you know, we covered every game in Houston, um, I still think that it was more the Warriors' mistakes and the Warriors playing below their potential than it was the Rockets exploiting them or the Rockets causing those mistakes. Um, It was great that we got a seven-game series, obviously, but the presumption that the Warriors would advance, that that, that really, I swear, that never changed for me, even during Game 7. It never changed for me during Game 7 because of the absence of Chris Paul. It did change for me after game five. And what I mean by that, and Hunter, you were there as well. The vibe after game five regarding the Paul hamstring injury was not as bad as it was Friday morning. When you asked PJ Tucker and Gerald Green about it, they didn't think he would sit out. Uh, Chris Paul told Mark Spears getting in the car that, that, oh yeah, he'll be fine. I think they knew that he wouldn't be 100%. But I think the vibe coming off the floor of Game 5 was that it was, while a nuisance, probably something that at least by Game 7 he would play through. Ultimately, what I take from it is that the MRI Friday morning, and that's when the vibe started to change. It started with the report from uh, Tim McMahon of ESPN, how's the hamstring feeling? Not good, said a Rocket source. That's when they found it was a grade 2, which is just physically impossible to uh, realistically play through against the Warriors. And at that point, that's when my optimism kind of dropped because at some point you just have to be able to create offense in one-on-one situations and the Rockets just didn't have enough firepower. I do think if they had Chris Paul, there was a pathway. You know, it's a little bit of both. I agree with Hunter that some of it's the Warriors not executing. But I think what we saw in game four and game five, I think with Paul out there, there was a route to make it close in the fourth quarter and then muck up the game by controlling the pace, limiting the turnovers, and ultimately having just enough shots between the trio of Paul, Harden, and Gordon to get it there. But ultimately, without Paul, there was never really a point, even when they were up 11 at the half, that I, that I thought it was better than 50-50, that the, that the Rockets were going to advance. The only time I thought it was better than 50-50 was the time period after Game 5, but before we got the, the MRI results. Or Well, I guess we never got officially the MRI results, but before the tone changed and it became very clear that Paul could indeed miss the rest of the series. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of funny on Monday, probably about an hour before tip-off, uh, Sheila Jackson-Lee sent out that tweet saying that you know she couldn't wait to see Chris Paul on the floor on Monday night during Game 7. And 
you know, you had tweeted out after game five, I believe, that, uh, you know, you were kind of anticipating it being like the Spurs series and the Rockets series from uh, two years ago, where Chris Paul, uh, you know, missed some games, played game seven, and then, you know, set the first two games, the Rockets series, came back. Uh, you know, was there any expectation that that could happen? I mean, were the, were the Rockets just being too cautious with him, or was he physically just not able? I, I don't think so. I think it's pretty clear he wanted to go and just the grade two prevented it. I really think that even leaving the arena Thursday night, they were hoping for the best that it was a grade one, and while he wouldn't be 100%, I think that was the hope at the time. But I think realistically when they got the MRI, you know, grade two, Harden came back. I looked it up earlier. It was 18 days in January, and that's one of the fastest that I've ever seen a guy come back and play an NBA game. And that's a guy who's 28 years old and, of course, with Harden, about the most durable as it gets. To come back from a grade two in four days, there's just not a whole heck of a lot that you can do. I think that's just rotten luck at the worst time. Yeah, well, so be it. It was exactly what we all expected anyway, right, <laughs> for basically a year. Um, which leads us to – oh, you, so I was not there today, but um, did you buy into the optimism from D'Antoni and Maury that – they can return next year and have an, a more successful season than the one they just had? Um, not more, but I buy that they would be in the same place. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. I don't think with the current core being a year older that you can necessarily buy to, to win 65 games again, but I don't think it necessarily takes that because keep in mind, other than the Warriors, no one else in the West even won 49 games. So even if combination of the players are you're older or maybe you're more conservative in managing the minutes, be it the normal aging process, the Rockets just being more cautious with guys like Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker, Trevor Ariza, blah, 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 I don't really see a scenario where they win 65 again unless they get like a LeBron or Paul George, something like that. However, I think at a bare minimum, because of the degree of separation in the Western Conference, I think the worst case scenario is that you're number two in the West, and it's very possible that you could easily be number one again because Golden State coming off the mileage of four straight NBA Finals appearances, uh, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry both being in their, uh, in their 30s entering next season, I don't know that they're going to go full throttle, pedal to the metal in the regular season either, and I think there's going to be some attrition there. So I don't buy the optimism that they could be even better as far as the regular season, the record. But I think they're in a good place that if they were to run it back, I don't really see a scenario where there's another team in the Western Conference that's jumping up to get them unless, I don't know, the only one I can even remotely think of, maybe if the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard patch it up and he comes back 100%, that might be the only scenario of a team that's not Golden State that I could see derailing the Rockets uh, before the conference finals this time of year from now. No, I, I, I agree that there doesn't seem to me too many other up-and-coming teams but I, I really don't think that, this, that the Rockets can replicate the kind of season they have. I don't mean it so literally as 65 wins. Obviously, they, if they won 58 wins, 59 wins, they'd still go to the playoffs. But to, be, to enter the Western Conference Finals um, with a puncher's chance of beating Golden State, I don't, I don't get how they're going to get back to that place. You, know, you look at the ages of these guys, right? And you mentioned it before. It's not just Chris Paul. Right, it's not just Ariza. You've got P.J. Tucker, Tucker, Ariza, Chris Paul, Gerald Green, Lukemba Mute. All these guys are 32 years or older. Um, I'm actually I'm looking at Basketball Reference 
right now. I'm not doing that from memory. And I actually think a lot of these guys turned 33 before this roster was set. Um, Gordon's going to turn 30. Ryan Anderson is, well, a ghost, right? Um, So I don't know why we can expect that after playing nearly 100 games this year at the level that they played, they're just going to run it back next year and be just as good. I, I I actually really find it hard to believe. And I think some of it needs to be by design as well. It's not the kind of thing you say at a press conference but because I think uh, everything that you're saying is completely accurate as is. And so the big question for the Rockets isn't so much how do you win 65 games, how do you get a top two record, because that's going to happen by de- default because there's no other team in the Western Conference that's ready to jump up in that tier. The key is how do you get these guys, whether you're the one or the two, to be in the peak physical condition to give it one more shot at this time a year from now. And so I think, you know, over 82 games, there might be a bit of a hangover effect after getting this close and it not paying off. I think there's an emotional letdown. I think there's a normal uh, aging curve, which is accurate. And some of it, quite frankly, needs to be by design. Not just Chris Paul, who had his games off this year, but Tucker as well, who pretty much was a every night player going forward. I don't think you can even do that with Mike D'Antoni. I think given the way that series played out, with some of not just the guys who missed games, but even those who played between the shortened rotation, the shooting going south at the wrong time, everyone late in games and the series seeming fatigued, I think you're going to see an even higher emphasis this year on sort of the regular season not meaning as much. And for the Rockets, just essentially try everything you can to make sure that everyone in that rotation is as close to 100% next May as possible. And I think just the natural result of that, the aging, everything else, is that you probably have a season that, while good, if not as juggernaut, you know, number one seed like they were this year. I think part of it's the aging process, and I think part of it will be by design, too. Exactly. No, you said everything I was thinking. Same thing I was thinking about next year, too. We are going to see a lot of these guys resting. I wonder if we even we're going to have these like quote unquote injuries, you know what I mean? To get these guys more rest. Right. Um, So, but for all of Daryl's wizardry and mastery in acquiring players, I have no idea how the team gets younger. You know, you mentioned Tucker who really became like a darling, I think in this series particular to the, to the rest of the country. You know what I mean? We've seen it all year. But now he's, he got so much respect and love for his hustle, for his grit, for his tirelessness. He was extraordinary. Gosh, I, I, I mean, I guess he could do that one more year. He's 33 years old also. Um, but with Luke, they're going to let Luke walk. You know what I mean? It wouldn't surprise me if they did. I think it depends on the roster composition elsewhere. Now, will they be successful? Of course, it's a long shot, but you know good and well they're going to be getting in the door for LeBron James and Paul George. But if they don't make a marquee acquisition elsewhere, Luke was important to them over 82 games. And the other thing to consider is that between his injuries and the disappointing postseason performance, which is related to that, I don't think he's going to have much of a market. Right. So, that's, a, that's, a fair po- that's a fair point. I guess I yeah. also was thinking if they want to try to maintain their level of on-ball defense, which he was so good at, yeah. right? And, we, and, you know, he and Tucker elevated their defense. We, we talked about it the whole season, right? So, yeah. but I, to simultaneously maintain that excellent defense, 
but get younger. That's what I'm saying is the hugest challenge, right? Like it's going to be a yep. risk if Absolutely. you try to re-sign Luke. Even, even if he's affordable, like great, I'm not sure what kind of a season he can have next year, you know? And when you bring up Paul George, forget it. I don't see any reason that he would he would come to the Rockets when he could be a much bigger star and have his own team elsewhere. If he really was that selfless, I would be astonished. And then LeBron is I don't I don't even know what to say to that, you know. It, it seems pure speculation that he would consider the Rockets and maybe not pure speculation. It's like 95% speculation and 5% complete fan bloodlust on social media to get him to Houston. I would disagree with you, especially on the uh, on the Paul George. I think that now he could have his own team, stuff like that, but I think the Rockets have positioned themselves in a pretty rare place in today's NBA, which is probably the only team that you're certainly not going to say they're favorites over the Warriors, but has a pathway to beat them. And if you want to compete over the next two or three years, there's not very many alternatives to Houston where you – can do that. And not all guys are wired that way. It might be that, you know, Paul George prefers, you know, another situation. It could be that he wants the, you know, the limelight of LA, which I think is where he's from, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the Rockets are going to be in more doors than you think, because I just don't see that many other situations where, where guys can contend. It's a pretty rare spot. And then the other thing is that because of the age situation, I think you're going to see Maury more aggressive than ever because I think he knows that even, you know, a year or two from now, the picture could look very different based on the age things that we are, that we've been discussing over the past 10 minutes or so. So there's no guarantees, but I expect the Rockets to push hard and there's a financial pathway to make it work. It's just a matter of, you know, can you make the sale to those players is ultimately what it's going to come down to. So on Wednesday during the, I guess, post-mortem press conference that the Rockets had, uh, you know, uh, Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni suggested that Tillman Fertitta is going to open up the pocketbook, that he's going to sign Chris Paul to an extension, that he's probably going to give a max deal to Clint Capella. Uh, You've got guys like Ariza who are free agents this year. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that he comes back for the Rockets. But, you know, we mentioned George, we mentioned James. Who are other targets for the Rockets that, you know, Daryl Morey is going to look at? And is there a surprise guy that you could see maybe him targeting? Because, you know, we've seen James Harden. That was a surprise trade. Uh, You know, last year, Chris Paul, I think that took a lot of NBA fans by surprise. Is there someone out there that you think is a dark horse that could end up in Houston next year? That's a good question. Uh, You you think back to guys they've been interested in in the past. Paul George, who mentioned, certainly fits on that list, thinking of non-LeBron guys. I'm also curious about uh, J.J. Redick's situation, because we know they went after him last summer before he signed that one-year inflated deal in Philadelphia. So maybe, you know, we mentioned perhaps letting Luke go, Redick someone that they could look at. But it's going to be difficult. The thing about the Rockets, so keep in mind, and we heard this today from Joe Morey at the press conference, uh, Jonathan Fagan of the Chronicle asked a really good question after hearing Daryl say that, oh, yeah, he's going to be interested in, you know, top free agents like all year. And earlier in the, the press conference, of course, Maury said that his plan was to bring back the current team. And Jonathan asked a great question, which is that how are those two things compatible? Because on the surface, if you're going to bring in a free agent, then it's going to be very difficult to do that 
while retaining the current team because you would have to find some way to move salaries out. And before making a joke about how we've got new math, uh, Maury answered it very seriously, saying that uh, he does think those goals match. And what I think he means by that is the same pathway to what Chris Paul did last year, which was an opt-in and trade, or conceivably it could just be a, you know, a trade, a sign-and-trade. There's lots of possibilities. But basically by adding on to the existing team rather than uh, trying to go beneath it in free agency. And so if you think of it in the context of a trade, it opens up a lot more possibilities, not just free agents, but around the league, because you're just looking for the right situation, the right fit. What makes it tough for the Rockets, because if you don't want to break up the core and Ryan Anderson isn't movable, then who can you conceivably give up? And where does that make it work for both teams? For example, like the Paul George thing, I could see that working because, you know, there's a natural guy to give up to make the math work in Houston, which is Eric Gordon. You'd have to give up Gordon plus, you know, some combination of Nene, Shananu Anuaku, Jochi, guys like that. But you can actually create a financial pathway that works for both teams because in Oklahoma City's standpoint, they're not going to want to rebuild. And getting an Eric Gordon at 29 with Russell Westbrook in the prime of his career, that's a better scenario for them than Paul George walking to the Lakers or somewhere else for nothing in return. As far as guys that are not at that level, it's kind of tough to see because, you know, if you're not going to move Gordon for them, Gordon's probably the most marketable asset they have. Well, if the guy is not as good as Eric Gordon, then what do you trade to get them to Houston? How do you make the math work? The only other big salary the Rockets have, besides Ryan, who's probably unmovable for a lot of reasons, is P.J. Tucker. And I think we all agree, based on the things that Hunter was saying earlier, they're probably not going to move P.J. So that's where it gets tough. I mean, there are guys they could go after. They could also hope that somebody takes just the ultimate sweetheart deal. Maybe Redick at this point in his career, you know they always want more shooting, more threes. Is someone that would take a bargain. But that's where it gets tough to see is that if they want to keep their, their team together, they're not going to be an above – I mean, they're not going to be a below-cap team. So it's either trades or somebody taking an incredible discount. So it, it, it's speculative. That's why I say it's almost easier for them to go after a big name than it is to go after a mid-level name because the mid-level names, I'm just not sure how you make that trade work in terms of who they send out, the salaries, et cetera, et cetera. No, that, that was very creative. A manifesto from you, Ben. Very well done. I, I, I had never even thought of getting rid of Gordon, that they would want to do it because he's so affordable for what he gives them, right, and in this new market. See, I don't think – yeah, I don't think they want to get rid of Gordon by any means. I'm but like you're saying, if there's, a bigger, if there's a big star dangled out there that they could acquire. He's the I, only guy that would be desirable. For another team, yes, of course. Yeah, I, I have a much – I have a controversial take or a hot take. I haven't heard anybody say – let Paul walk. Why? Listen, I know they had this awesome year a lot of ways because of him. They also had this awesome year in a lot of ways because of Lucumba Mute, Tucker, and they just figured out, quote, the formula, right? They had this perfect system of corner threes, you know, Gordon who could basically do everything. Why don't you replace Chris Paul with Eric Gordon next year? Like you have Chris, Eric Gordon fill in that role, and then maybe you try to get I, this would again. It wouldn't. I don't think it would be a superstar. But if you don't have Paul, you have a ton more flexibility to either get deeper, to get I don't know whoever the poor man's version of Eric Gordon is out there uh, to augment the defense. Maybe they don't use the money on Paul, and they do end up using that on somebody like 
Paul George. But I, I think Eric Gordon could take over uh, Chris Paul's role pretty easily. I think from a basketball standpoint, you're right. There's, there's merit to that. It's just from a cap standpoint, because they're over the cap already, it's not like you can just let Paul go and then re- reallocate that money. It's so tough. It's just kind of the order of, of things. And then, of course, the relationship that Chris has with James, the political standpoint from that. From a strict basketball X's and O's standpoint, I get what you're saying. From a practicality standpoint in terms of, you know, would you actually have that money to spend elsewhere? And then the political of, you, you know, the effect it has on James Harden and who James at 29 is not a spring chicken himself. I think especially with how he plays, you're only looking at probably, what, two, three, maybe four at the most true prime years from James. He'll still be good beyond that, but in terms of MVP-level workload. So you're not wrong. I just think that from an actual practical X's and O's standpoint, it'd be really difficult to see that scenario working out for him. We're just going to have to wait till LeBron signs for all the chips to fall into place too, right? Like This is going to take forever. Where do you where do you think he goes? Um. This is going to be, I don't know, almost a hot take on NBA Twitter. I tend to think he somehow stays. I think somehow Cleveland works on a deal. You know, they got that number eight pick in the draft to get one more veteran that they can sell him on. Um, I, I, I will say this. If he leaves, I would put my money probably on Houston outside chance of L.A. because he does have a lot of business interest in L.A. having two max slots. Conceivably, he and Paul George could go together. But I just – I have a hard time seeing the Philadelphia scenario for the same reason I couldn't see Chris Paul going to the Spurs last summer. Like, everybody in the basketball universe a year ago thought that, you know, the Spurs were the right fit on paper – but what they didn't look at is the personalities off the floor. Chris and James clicked. They knew each other. They were in the same circles, somewhat similar, just a four-year age gap. They played on Team USA together, just all the behind-the-scenes personalities, whereas Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard, it's more two different generations. They didn't know each other. just wasn't that familiarity. And that's why I see a lot of people doing the same thing with LeBron and the Sixers. Yes, I understand how good they look on paper. Yes, I understand there's a way they can get a max slot. The issue is, or they already have, Uh, based on how young the roster is. It's just I don't really see LeBron wanting to, you know, spend the end of his prime years with guys like Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, that he doesn't have a lot of trust on. You know, even when he went to Cleveland, A, I think he gave Cleveland the benefit of the doubt because I think he wanted the Cavs scenario to work, his legacy, hometown, stuff like that. But even, even adjusting for that, I think we still know what happened between him and Kyrie, the personality clash after the 2016 title, uh, they made, he, LeBron essentially made them trade Andrew Wiggins, the top pick in the draft, for Kevin Love. So I just, to me, LeBron's going to want to go to a situation where there's a lot of veterans. But ultimately, he gets so much say in Cleveland. It's so good for his legacy. And they do have the number eight pick in the draft that they could conceivably trade for, you know, a more established veteran. I just think ultimately LeBron is looking for a reason to stay. And the financial pathway to Houston, while not impossible, it's difficult because you do have to find a taker for Ryan Anderson in some sort of complicated three-way transaction. And the other reason, one last thing that I'm kind of skeptical on LeBron to Houston, Hunter, you mentioned the spotlight, the free agency tour, when he makes his decision. In the past, LeBron has drugged these things out. The only realistic LeBron to Houston path 
involves him making a decision by June 30th, he opting in to the final year of his, his existing deal. And based on LeBron's history, I don't see him making a decision that quickly. I see him wanting to go through the courtship process, milking it for what it's worth. And so that's kind of, you know, I go back. I just don't see really a scenario other than Houston that makes sense. So I see him maybe trying one more year in Cleveland. You know, I'm a gambler. I think I think Hunter knows that. I think I've been called a degenerate a few times on this podcast, and I I did hedge my emotions on Game Seven, uh, that paid off for me actually. I took the Warriors minus five and a half, uh, and then I also made a ridiculous bet on PJ Tucker. It was like over sixteen and a half combined points and rebounds and assists. That also paid off. So uh, you know I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at gambling odds right now for LeBron where he plays in 2018-19. Uh, Sixers at plus 150, Cavs at plus 175, Rockets at plus 250. I just don't see LeBron going to the West. I mean he's made the the finals in the East eight straight years. I think the path to the finals is a little bit easier in the East. You know Boston is going to be better next year. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with 76ers with all the drama going on right now. But I think the path to the finals is easier for LeBron. And here we are. Uh, you know LeBron and the Cavs didn't look like they were going to get out of the first round against the Pacers. But you know they're scoring off for the fourth time against the Warriors in the finals. And from a gambling perspective... This is one of the most lopsided series prices that I've ever seen. I, I think the Warriors are something like minus 1,200. Is this series going to be any good, or did we just witness the finals here in Houston? We just witnessed the finals. I don't see any pathway to where that series is at, at all competitive. I, I just see Cleveland as a team that's benefited from a fairly weak Eastern Conference, and I think Toronto – you give them some credit for sweeping a team that was great in the regular season, but you could see cracks in the Toronto foundation as early as the, um, what was it? The Washington series when the wizards were not a very good team at all. And they still took two games and nearly took that to game seven. And other than that, the Pacers and Celtics, the Celtics without Kyrie and um, who am I forgetting? Gordon Hayward, of course, uh, taking into game seven, Cleveland's been a bad defensive team all year. The teams they've beaten in the playoffs outside of Toronto have not been very impressive. And, Golden State's great. That's just I know there's the Andre Iguodala question, but I just see a, a a gulf between these two teams. I just don't see Cleveland having anywhere near the. Uh, I mean, to me, Golden State's ability to create an offense when they go from playing Houston to playing Cleveland. I mean, it's going to be like dropping from the varsity to the JV. As great as LeBron is, I just to me, I don't see a pathway. And the you know the irony in this, by the way, is that for the Rockets, for Rockets fans, for people in Houston, you have no choice but to cheer for Golden State because any Cle- any success by the Cavs. Uh, further promotes the idea of LeBron staying in Cleveland as a free agent. Very good point about uh, Rockets fans now rooting for the team that just killed them in Game Seven. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think like how could they? What what path to victory do the Cavs have? What are we missing? Right? Like is the, is just as there? I know that it's very easy for us to just dismiss the chance. I do cling to the hope that LeBron can do it because. It's just more satisfying when we're wrong. It's nice when we underestimate him and he overachieves. What are you going to say, Austin? Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think Iguodala could be the question mark because he's a guy that defends LeBron. And, you know, I thought when he was listed as questionable for what was a game four or game five that he was going to come back at least at some point in the series. And, I, you know, all this talk that Rockets fans have about, you know, we would have won the series or should have won the series had Chris Paul been healthy – 
I think Steve Kerr had a point that if Iguodala was healthy, I think the Warriors won in five. You know, just by how the series was going when both teams were at full strength. I mean, is Iguodala's injury status maybe a path for Cleveland to steal a game on the road? Say no. Say no, Ben. Don't even give him a chance. <laughs> uh, I, I'm leading to no. I, I, I just don't see it. I just think there's – it's one of the best offensive teams ever to play the game, the best collection of scorers ever, two former MVPs against just a laughably bad defense uh, all, all season long. I just I, – I, I can't see it. I agree that not having Iguodala hurt him against the Rockets. I just – boy, I just can't see how Cleveland even holds him below – you know, if Cleveland holds them to 115, that's that's an incredible performance. I was trying to get our uh, degenerates know, out there to bet on the plus 800 for the series price. So. <laughs> there you go. We also got to talk about the burning hot fire story of the day. These burner Twitter accounts. Um, I've never thought of such a thing. It does seem like the ringers reporting was exquisite. Um, what are your initial thoughts about that, Ben? And then what was Maury's response when it was brought up today? Yeah, Maury's response was pretty funny. I forgot who asked the question, but it was brought in the context of, uh, did you, oh yeah, it was brought up in as, did you ever wish you had a burner to, uh, or do you have any burners to go after the officials? Of course, of course, referring to the uh, sketchy uh, stretch of officiating in the middle of game six and game seven. And of course, uh, Maury John Plutty, he gets in enough trouble on his own uh, Twitter account. But I think it's pretty clear between, um, between, Maury and Mark Cuban's uh, back and forth, uh, Maury chiding him about the Cyberdust thing, that I don't think they're big fans of, uh, of Colangelo to be bringing it up that openly. It's something that they know kind of re- reflects negatively, the entire story, putting it out there. So, you know, I've never gotten the whole burner fascination. I've got enough uh, people to defend against myself. <laughs> no, but it's, it's not that. Let's also, let's also just get to the ego the maniacal egos well, of yeah. some of these executives yeah. and the lunacy, if, if it's true, it, and it does seem irrefutable. It's incredibly well-reported. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very well-reported. It, it, it's, it's so painfully circumstantial that it would have to be kind of like a, you know what you know what it reminded me of? The Manti Teo situation. Oh, yeah. Where we all thought, oh, my God, this guy duped us. But in the end, he actually was the guy duped, that he was the buffoon. Now, Calandrio, I think, is probably 200 times smarter than Mantateo. But still, I, I'm leaving just like a little tiny bit of doubt, wondering if maybe somehow Calandrio was was like effed over and, uh, and uh, yeah. let's, let's start term, like framed in but a one, way for it. Yeah, the only thing that I will say about it, and I'm sure you've encountered this too, uh, Hunter, is that it's stunning how sensitive some of these guys can be. And I think, of course, it goes back to the whole Durant situation before the season when he was busted doing it. And for guys that have that much success, some of them, the degree of sensitivity, sometimes not even from like national media accounts, sometimes from just random fans, it's incredible. I don't know where it comes from. I guess part of, you know, being a competitor, these guys, they want respect and they want to tell their side of the story as they see it and all those types of things. But yeah, the the high degree of sensitivity to the point where you're willing to do that it, it it never ceases to amaze me from guys that are obviously so accomplished and in you know incredible positions. One more point about the finals I want to make is that this you know it's the fourth time that the Cavs and Warriors are going to play each other, and 
I like it because I actually like to see LeBron again have to move mountains, have to prove that he is a basketball god, essentially, right? That he has to defy all the odds uh, and go, that it takes maybe the greatest team of all time to beat him. I actually like that narrative. Um, I want, I always want the league to be as hard as possible for LeBron James because I love him because I want to see him continue to, you know, prove us wrong. Um, but because it does seem like the Warriors are going to win in four or five games at the most, do you think it's really bad for the NBA that the Warriors are this good? I honestly, uh, I, I do. I mean, I just, there are so many fans, of course, here at Houston, but just around the league that it just feels like have checked out. I'm, and quite frankly, I'm struggling to get amped for it myself. I do think that if there was a realistic pathway for LeBron to win, like two years ago, I could be sold. But at this point, the gap is so wide that it's lost its appeal. I mean, I guess this year is better than last because at least someone, in this case the Rockets, was able to push them. But at this point, even with the presence of LeBron James, I'm honestly just not that excited for it. It just feels like such a foregone conclusion. And hopefully one of these years, be it through aging or who knows what the Rockets and Gerald Moore are able to do this offseason, you can have a challenger. Because right now, it's just hard to see that level of competitive imbalance being good for the league. Yeah, yeah. And imagine what it would have been like if it was the Celtics, by the way, that one, and not the Cavaliers. Oh, my God. Oh, geez. It would be yeah. even worse. It, 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 no, it, it is sad that the offseason has more fanfare and anticipation than the finals. That is bad. Um, I, I still... As much as I love Kevin Durant as a basketball player, I still hate that he went to war- the Warriors. It's still it's just so disappointing Same. from a fan standpoint, right? Like what? Just yep. it, it it made the it it sucked a lot of competition and drama out of the NBA. So anyway, it really did. Yep. Mm, yeah, Ben. Thank you as always, brother. Is there anything else we didn't touch on? What else is going on? Nothing particular. I think we covered all the angles. Uh, you're you're married, right? Out. Yes. Give some marriage advice out there. I think, like, I, I would guess that most of our audience is single, Austin. I feel like, you know what I mean? <laughs> or single or, or, or far from marriage, like myself. Um, one of the guys in this podcast, Jeremy, seems very close to getting married. I'd say you have aspirations of getting married, I would say, comfortably. Me, still waiting for Miss or Mr. Wright to come along in my life. Um, <laughs> what, like, give me, just give me some random marriage advice. How do, how do you make a marriage work? How do you make it last? Give me something. I'm trying to think. Um, Confidence there. I mean, yeah, shoot, that's that's like the most generic thing. You know, I was, I mean, I was always pretty what I'm thirty. I'm about to turn thirty-four next month. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that many serious relationships prior to my wife. You know, I always just kind of kept like an open mind. So you, you know, I mean, like that's always a, you know, it's very generic but true. Like, don't force yourself into like serious relationships. I met my wife in January 2011, so I would have been, what, 26 then. And, you and guys yeah, I didn't have that Where did you guys meet? <laughs> no, of all things, we actually met at, uh, at Bingo because we, so there's this Bingo the in the height. The oldest 34-year-old in Texas. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, no, and I was 26, but yeah. But uh, yeah, we met at Bingo because, no, there's this Bingo in the Heights. I don't know if it still is, but back then, it was a popular thing among young people because it was bring your own beer or it was bring your own drinks. And they had $6 pitchers of beer that were huge. And so it was like this thing every Thursday night. And so we just, we just went because 
we both uh, are Mizzou alums, but we didn't meet there because I went to Mizzou for grad school. I was there 06 through 08. She was there uh, undergrad 01 through 05. So we kind of had the same network of people once we both found our way back to Houston. But, uh, but yeah, just met, met through some friends, started hanging out after that. It worked out. The best thing for me, though, my, uh, my, my wife's an attorney, and it helped so much. You know, she, she does a lot of work from home and stuff like that. And because she works from home, that makes it so much easier to, you know, at the same time, watch the Astros, the Rockets, everything going on. Because what's funny, you know, you always hear this bickering amongst couples, especially married couples. Oh, what TV show do you want to watch? What movie? My wife actually gets annoyed by me if I put on, you know, unless like she's explicitly taking time off, like a show with, you know, a plot because it's tougher to work through as opposed to sports. You know, she likes sports. She enjoys going to games and watching them, which is good for me. But uh, that's the most random piece of advice I can say, like from our relationship, <laughs> is that it makes me even watch more sports than I did when I was single because she gets on me when I don't because, you know, the sports is easier for her to, you know, multitask and do whatever, you know, I guess lawyer responsibilities she has to do on the side, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I think we need to start a new podcast, and it's going to be called Outkicking Your Coverage with Ben DeBose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's my. <laughs> yeah, yeah also, I don't think Ben found that funny. Ben must. I th ben thinks of himself as quite the catch, and in this instance, she robbed the cradle. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know how she would characterize it, but it, uh, it, it, it works out pretty well. It, it works out pretty well for me, and you know, she, she loves sports, and of course, that's how we, you know, that's how we get along uh, because certainly we have a lot of interest, and like we both have positions like in the you know, Mizzou alumni group here. So we do, you know, as far as spare time, aside from sports, we have a lot of the same interests. It feels like we're almost like party planners because we do a lot of Mizzou events around town, that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I would say common interest, uh, I was patient and yeah, thankfully uh, ignore, uh, ignore TV shows, all sports, which is uh, for the most part fine with me. Well, we also know what you're going to name your next child. B-I-N-G-O. Bingo was his or her name -o. All right, Ben, thank you as always for taking the time, man. I'm going to miss sitting next to you and gleaning all of your advice and stealing all of your tweets for my stories. Uh, it's been a pleasure, buddy. I'm, uh, I'm sad that we have to wait another seven months or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we might see each other at Minute Maid Park. Like the thing is, you know, it, it, it's rare, but I do, uh, you know, I do freelance for MLB.com because I came up through their program and they kind of know that, you know, my first priority, of course, is the Rockets. But they know that once the rocket season ends, I'm available to freelance more. So not wait, that wait, often. Wait, this is a, jo a job interview, Ben? We're not, we're, not, we're not here to pimp out your work. We're not here to pimp well, you no, out to I get know. more no, opportunities I know. I know. No, no, I'm just saying from time to time, you'll see me at the, uh, the Minute Maid press box filling in for McTaggart. That's all I say. Filling in. Feel free to stay forever. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. Where, and where can, uh, you know, where can listeners find you and your work? Of course. Well, now it's a job interview. No, uh, at, at Ben DuBose on Twitter and uh, at Lockdown Rockets is the show handle. That's the simplest places to find me. And to find true love, play bingo in the heights. That's the other piece of advice we're leaving people with. All right, Austin, good as always. I'm predicting, yeah, Warriors in five. Where do you, you know Warriors in five? Yeah, definitely Warriors in five. All right. Ben? Mm -hmm. I want to say four, but I think they'll lose a game out of sheer boredom. Good luck, listeners. Enjoy not watching the finals. Do something better.
Hunter Atkins here. You can find me Hunter Atkins 35 on Twitter. Please read the Houston Chronicle at www.houstonchronicle.com. Awesome. You follow us weekly brewcasts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. If you want to follow oil and gas tweets that I do, that's at a statin or occasional uh, tweets on Astros, Rockets, whatever. But if you want to also give Ben some love, he got a lot of hate from Warriors fans during the NBA Finals. So go ahead and give him some love at Ben DeBose on Twitter. But Ben, appreciate it. We'll definitely talk more soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 